All right. Psalms 25. By the way, I just, I, I, I do want you to pray for us. Um, we are going through quite a shift as we are talking about a lot of stuff in our leadership and, and everything. God is doing something. And I, 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 I was talking with him yesterday that something was released in our church when Davey was here on New Year's Eve. And he'll be coming back and, and you're going to see him more often because he has a great place to stay at the Radies. And uh, he even drives their car around. So it's a great deal for him. And, uh, but, uh, and he gets some of her good desserts. I'm telling you, those are good. Those Romanian pastries are a hallelujah. Anyway, but I think something was released in here into the heart of our church. And just be patient, hang in there. God is into making weighty Christians. Christians that have substance because you're going to need it in the culture that is to come. So we're still dealing with body, soul, spirit. But we're going to take a little bit, and I want you to go to, who's back there? Is this special case? Okay. Um, slide seven, son. Can you do that? Lifting up, we're going to talk about lifting up your soul in the next few moments. Before we do, I want to just make a little bunny trail to make sure you understand something. There is no Christian that is really following after the heart of God that is self-made. Ephesians 2.10 is very clear. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And when we get to the point where we think that we're doing this on our own, we have crossed over into a performance mentality that will eventually wreck us. Because the devil and your soul are bigger than your performance. You can't make it with right performance. What you can do is have a right spirit in you and have a, a life that's aligned to that spirit. And it's a life of constant surrender. It's a life of constantly, how can I put this? You're constantly asking forgiveness. You're constantly trying to make things right within your relationships. You're constantly, you, there's something that comes over you that says, I can't be satisfied with this brokenness. I want it to be changed. And so understand rebirth and being born again is very, very, it's very, it, to me it's very, urgent that you understand you're born of the spirit John 1 is very clear you're not born of flesh and blood you're not born of man's will or man's desires you are born of the spirit of God and he's the one that's making you and uh, I'm not going to be able to get to it this morning but there's two words that, that the next couple weeks we're going to be embracing and that is hope and shame. Hope and shame. If you don't have hope, you will have shame. And if you have shame, you'll have no hope. Let's read Psalms chapter 25. Let's read a few verses. To you, O Lord, 
And you can, if you want to, you know, play with that, you can go, oh, Lord. You know, you can add your own verbiage there. To you, oh, Lord, do I lift up my soul. Oh, my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. You'll notice that three times there, three times, David talks about shame. Three different times. Now, the timeline of Psalms 25, if you want, if you want to understand kind of the genesis of Psalms 25, Psalms 1 says talks about blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly but nor sits in the seat of the scornful but and he talks about his ways and it becomes like a tree planted by the rivers of living water psalms 1 begins the whole idea in that area of psalms psalms 3 builds on it but by the time we get to psalms 25 the writer david has some conflict going on his enemies now, you've got to understand, it's just not his enemies. He's got several things going on. He's got the enemies surrounding him of other nations, but he's also dealing with the enemies in his own household. According to the timeline, Absalom is on the loose, his son. His son is trying to kick him off the throne, get rid of him because dad's just a little too out of the loop. Dad isn't relevant to the culture around him. In fact, Absalom has gone to the gates and he's talked to the city leaders and he's, found, he's let them know and they've agreed that it's time for David to go because David's ministry and David's rule is not culturally correct. It's not politically correct. It's just time for it to fade. And a coup is taking place in the kingdom. His foes are making it difficulty for him as his and his people who are really following the king are trying to live quiet and peaceful lives. He's got enemies. And not only are they external enemies, but verse 7 of this says, do not remember the sins of my youth. It tells us that David is now recognizing not only does he have external enemies, but he also has internal ones. It's not just, oh, wow, my circumstances are bad. Oh, wow, there's people who don't like my new life in Christ. But it's, oh, wow, I got a mess inside. I think we are so prone to take care of external things when truly what is driving the external is what's going on in the internal. What's in here matters more than what's out here. In fact, can I go and tell you that if your internal is struggling, your eyesight will struggle and you will not see that God is literally in position to fight your battles for you. But when you are living externally, you try to take care of your enemies however you think they should be taken care of, not how your heart says, we got, we got enemies, but we got bigger problems in here. We got some issues in here. 
So David is, as we go through this psalm, a few verses of it today, David is now in that recognizing place where it's not just the external enemies. It's just not his household that's got a... A lot of, a lot of times we come and say, well, it's my house or it's my, my job or it's the family I married into or it's, it's you know... You know, for me, you know, it's my kids, it's my wife, it's the dog, the cat. Linda, it's the cat. <laughs> it's the cat, it's, it's, oh, it's culture. Culture's so bad, I don't think I can stand against it, I won't survive it. Let me tell you something. I, I know this is going to weird you out a little bit. There was a time in the scripture that it was worse than our culture is right now. The Bible says, Jesus out of his own mouth says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the sons of man. Now you need to understand something. God has seen it all and God has solved it all. And he wants us to deal with our internal and he'll fix the external. Because once you get the internal in line... That's why he's going to start with lifting his soul up. That word, mind, will, and emotions, he's lifting up his soul to the Lord. Why? He knows that there's some internal garbage going on that if he doesn't get it in alignment with God's will, his enemies will triumph. His sin will run away from him. And he won't be able to control it anymore. He won't be able to fight against it. Because let me tell you something. Sin will grow to a proportion in your life on the inside till it's hard to control. And David realizes this. He lifts up his soul. Now there are five, five alignment issues we're going to deal with today out of Psalms 25. You've been getting emails about it. You've been reading it. I want to talk about, first of all, the alignment cry. To you, Lord, do I lift up my soul. When my soul is in alignment with God, I realize that God must act on my behalf. If God doesn't act on my behalf, I am headed straight for embarrassment and shame. If God doesn't interfere, if He is, does not come, there's only embarrassment and shame to look forward to. You hear me? We've got, church, we've got to shift our thinking in this day and hour to come back to the age-old understanding. If not God, it's no one. Because can I tell you something? Some of you are sitting there, well, I can fix it myself. Really? Have you checked it out lately? I use this illustration. In fact, I got, a, I got a text this morning about it. My grandkids dressing themselves. It is hilarious. One grandson, he doesn't want to wear nice clothes. He wants to look like he's from Amboy. And, uh, and, and, then, and then I've got a granddaughter who a nice little pinafore, leotards, and nice shoes were not enough. She has to dress up like the Queen of England princess with all the stuff and gold glitter everywhere. And here's Eva, look at me. I'm a princess. Well, those are self-dressed people. 
And we have that in here. We have scruffy believers. We have princess believers. We have prince believers. They do a little bit of prancing. But it's all about them. See what I've done. Look how, I, look how I, my life is working because I come to church. Right. If God does not act on your behalf, you're headed for embarrassment and shame. Three times David speaks of being ashamed. It's not just personal, it's about God. It's not just about personal shame. But here's what happens on the internal. You ever pray for somebody to get healed and they die? No. I've had that happen. You lay hands on them and they pass away. And you go, wait a minute. You said if you lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. And of course, there's the theologian that says, well, the gifts died with the apostles. Right? Read your Bible for crying out loud. If the Holy Spirit brought us into this walk, he's not abandoning us. Nothing ceased with the apostles. It just got worse. Greater works than these shall you do, Jesus says, because he is going to the Father. I don't know how you cease with that one. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. The crisis of faith is, will I be ashamed of God. Lord, I lift my soul to you. I trust you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph. You know what the most embarrassing thing is in the world for a believer? Is to have your enemies stomping all over you. And everybody knows it. There's no closet to hide in. They know that everybody knows, hey, they're being, they're, they're getting wiped out. And the first questions that come, literally, this comes to seasoned believers. Is the gospel really true? Oh, see, we, we have fakers out here. We got pretend believers. Because all of them go, oh, no, that never happened to me. I, I never questioned the gospel. Right. Or how about this? How can I explain God's silence? God, speak to my daughter, speak to my son, speak to my relatives. Lord God, hear my prayer about finances, hear my prayer about this. And all you get is crickets. God doesn't answer. There's nothing. You've got, you're going, excuse me, can you speak up? I don't hear nothing. And dead silence. Don't tell me that doesn't put you in a place of shame. It does. It's the reality of it. I'm dealing with that in my own neighborhood right now. Because I got a guy that will not listen. And he's so upset over the loss of his wife that he's just constantly, he, he just, and it's like, my, my crisis of faith is how do I get this atheist to understand that there is more to life than what he sees? That there is eternity. Right. But see, there's dead silence. Is the Lord indifferent? Has he decided, you know? Sometimes I almost think we feel like the prophets of Baal. Remember Mount Carmel? And Elijah's taking him to task and he says, Hey, your God must be in the restroom because he ain't out here. Oh, 
oh, he's on vacation. Uh, there are times in the walk with God, if we don't lift our soul up to the Lord, we'll begin to get this shame thing going in our life where God must be absolutely tone deaf to what's going on in my life. God, don't you get it? Oh, so you don't care. I love it. People in here look at me like I'm crazy. But maybe I know what your prayer life is like because it's like mine. And by the way, if you deny it, you can't hang out with David. Right. Absolutely. David is the prototype of the New New Testament believer. And David was gut level honest about his circumstances and about how he felt about things. He was gut level honest. There are times you read the Psalms and you're almost embarrassed for him because he's just ripping into God like a monkey on a cupcake, man. He's just going after it. He's just like, God, where are you? What is the deal? You tell me to follow you. I do all that and what do I get? I mean, God. I've got a neighbor who's having twin calves. My cow died. And everybody in the neighborhood is going, wow, nice God. He's wiping you out. I heard a statement yesterday. At first it caught me off guard, but then I realized it's really true. We're all all business about God is good, but God's also a killer. There are times that it seems like he's killing everything in us. What he's doing is he's getting ready for a recreation of good things. Because if we don't get rid of this, we don't bring our soul into alignment, he loves us so much, he'll just keep after it. And and some people think, oh, well, that's not the goodness of God. Are you kidding me? Do you want to be palatial in your Christian life or do you just want to live in a shack? And I'm not talking about material things. I'm talking about a revelation of God that totally changes your life. That totally makes you different. That impacts your, your, all of you have influence. But here's the deal. God wants to distribute from you what he's doing in you. And if you don't answer these questions and deal with these things, I don't think, you know, like is some, is, some sin holding me back. For crying out loud, if you're not asking that, you're being ignorant. Because you need to be evaluating your heart all the time. Because Jeremiah chapter 17 says, the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Let me tell you something. That old heart needs to be brought into alignment every day. Are you telling me the truth, heart? Because I know that you're lying and deceitful and I'm, you're going to come in alignment with the word of God because I can't trust you. But I'll lift my soul and I'll put my trust in God. Yes. Are we there? Are we there? Are we there? Come on, come on. This is going to be a little bit hard, but you'll make it. Will Jesus heal the people I pray for? Don't tell me you haven't asked that question. David says, God, don't let me be put to shame. Your soul wants to answer these questions from its own perspective instead of waiting upon the Lord for his answer. That's why the scripture says here, 
Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. You know what the problem is? We don't know how to wait. You say, well, I've been waiting for years. Well, God, God's timeline has nothing to do with your years. He looks at things from eternity. And he can do more in five minutes than you can do working for 50 years. I had this prophetic word spoken over Elizabeth and I. And recently, it's been a little bit of a struggle between me and God about the whole thing. Because the word was this. Your latter years will be greater than the former. That as you come down the stretch of life, I'm going to do some things through you that are going to shock people. But I'm going to wait Till you're well down the road. And I'm thinking, okay, we're well down the road here. In fact, I'm having dreams of the end all the time. And, uh, you know, what's going on here? And uh, God, excuse me, um, you know, uh, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm not getting younger. Now, I look young. Granted, shockingly, 25-year-old looks right here. Little worn 25-year-old, but hey. And crickets back from God. And I keep expecting, okay, God, you're going to bust through and you're going to say, this week is the week. <laughs> Nothing. So I blame her. I say, God, is it Elizabeth? <laughs> and when I'm done with her, I blame you. <laughs> God. You see, my soul is trying to answer some questions of things that have been spoken to me by God. And my soul steps in and wants to answer it so that I have some answers. And you know what? Most of the answers, if not all the answers that come out of my soul, are not right. They are tainted and messed up. And so I have to come. This is why the soul must be lifted up to the Lord. You've got to lift that thing up to the Lord and say, God, I need your thought process in this. Now, so I have an alignment cry. I lift up my soul. Now, I want to be alignment built. There's, there's three words here in the scripture that begin in verse four. First one is show me your ways. David is asking God, make known to me your ways. Now I want you to listen very, very carefully. Knowing God's ways must come by revelation. See, what do you mean? Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, his ways are higher than our ways, and that basically we really don't understand the mind of God. And what happens in the waiting process, our soul begins to decide, this is what God looks like, this is how God acts, this is how he is. In fact, we build denominations on it. We build streams of thinking and worship and everything. And by the way, I just want to tell you something, and I tell it to you with humbleness of heart. You have been put on the table. And now what I mean by that is, God... I want to know your ways through revelation for this church. And I don't care if it's even weird. 
Some of you are going, oh, great. No. It's not about emotional stuff either. It's about being built into the kingdom of God that comes against the enemy and we begin to live that Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. I'm tired of the gates of hell prevailing. Right. So God, here it is. So show me. No, let God come fix my sight. Let me see by revelation. The second thing is, teach me your paths. It has to do with lifestyle. You drive around our community, and I'm not knocking anybody. I'm just saying, we drive around our community, and we all giggle a little bit at people that... Now, this is not referring to Willie. Because he would not be accepted in that stream. Maybe if you put a scarf on. Hair's in a bun scarf, dress in a certain way. The women are kept ugly, the men are kept pretty. And I mean, it's a whole way of thinking. And they call it holiness. I don't know. I don't agree with it. I think it's wrong. Period. What's happened? They've asked God, they have decided this is what God's word teaches about lifestyle. I don't want that. I want God to reveal to me what the lifestyle of the believer is and bring my soul into alignment with it. Yes. I, don't want, I don't want somebody else's ideals. I don't want Republican ideals. I don't want Democrat ideals. I don't want conservative ideals or liberal ideals. I want kingdom ideals. I want kingdom ideology. I want kingdom thinking. I want kingdom authority. I want to walk in the kingdom of God and build the kingdom of God and people. And so the cry of our heart is God help us be alignment built. Teach us your lifestyle. I tell you what that will do, that will take care of our judgment of other people. Then he says, lead me. This was an interesting word. He says, he says here, he says, teach me your paths and lead me in your truth. Lead me in your truth. The word lead here means a treading or stepping place. It means to bend. It has to do with setting foot on territory or objects, sometimes in the sense of trampling them. I want you to go to Joshua chapter 1. I want to show you where this word is used so that you understand it. Now, this is not an emotional home run sermon today. This is, I'm just teaching you very clearly. You've been praying this psalm. It's time you understand what it's about. Joshua chapter 1, verse 3. Can I, can I, let's just go to verse 1 of Joshua 1. I, I think we need to read that. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... It came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. You know what's happening there? I know some of you don't like this word, but a shift happened. Yeah. A shift. God says, this way of doing things has ended. In fact, I'm going to move you from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. Your worship is going to change. How you see your enemies is going to change. Because Moses is dead. He's done. He's not in charge. What I've done is there's been a young man 
who's now quite a bit older, as you guys have been wandering in the desert, while you were wandering, he was on his face in the tent of meeting. He was getting a full-blown vision of what we are to become. And he says to Joshua, he says, Now arise, go over the Jordan, you and all this people, to a land which I am giving to them. Well, I just thought they went and took it. Are you kidding me? If God doesn't give it, you don't get it. There has to come this, if I could fix anything in our brains, is a performance mentality that says, if it's going to be, it's up to me. That's a lie of hell. If it's going to be, it's up to Jesus for me to cooperate with the will of God so that things start happening. And some of you, and myself included, we get a little antsy and we say, I'm going to take over because this is not working. This is too slow. God does not know what, I mean, he might have designed the universe, but he don't get how to fix this. Doesn't that sound ridiculous when you hear it? Welcome to my prayer time. Verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you as I said to Moses. I, I feel such an unction to stop for a moment. I want every person that's over 40, I don't want you to stand because that would be a horrible admission. <laughs> but how many of you would raise your hands and say, God has given me a word and it has yet come to pass. I want to see your hand. God has given me a word, and it's yet come to pass. Okay. Now, can I, can I blow your mind for a moment? Have you told people about that word? Because Moses was faithful to tell Joshua, this is the word of the Lord. This is what God has said. Because you know what? It's what I'm learning. I've watched it in the lives of my children. My kids are doing things that I could only have dreamed about years ago. I watch, I watch all our kids. I watch Steph. I watch Jen and Katie. and I, I'm stunned. Who, who would have who thought that we would be having contact with the whole nation of Ghana because of a short, blonde, blue-eyed, stubborn little girl? Do you know, this is, this, can, can, I don't even think she knows this. Do you know that when my mother was a little girl, my mother was supposedly called to Africa as a missionary. But when bitterness and hatred set in and wrecked her life, I think it jumped a generation and landed on my daughter to fulfill the word of the Lord to my mother regarding the nation of Africa. I think sometimes we as parents think it's all about us when it could be that God's about to do a generational thing. <laughs> I've watched Brian and Jan and I sit amazed, absolutely amazed at what God's doing through them. And I think I could have never done that I mean, God, you gave me the vision, but I could have never done, because here's the deal. 
Moses said something, but Joshua now is going to carry it out. Does that resonate with anybody? You, you need to be praying for your children. And, and you know what? If I could get this statement into you, that God wants to give you the gates for your enemies. And you need to teach that to your kids diligently, that we are not losers in this fight, but our God is going to give us the gates of our enemies. He says, lead me. Joshua 14, 9. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be inheritance, and your children's forever, because they have wholly followed the Lord my God. Lead me is, is a stepping stone it, it place. It's a place where you begin to bend. It, 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 and lead me also, the next line down, it's a journey, it's a road, it's a manner, uh, it's work. It refers to a path that becomes worn by constant walking. And I, I don't mean this as correction. I mean this as to help you with something. Because this is what God is helping me with right now regarding you and regarding our future. We hear a word from the Lord. And we say, wow, that is tremendous. I have hope it's going to work. But here's what, here's what lead, being led by the Lord is. You start walking that word. You walk it another year. And you walk it another year. And you walk it another year. Now you say, yeah, but nothing's coming to pass. Ah, but there's a path being laid. It's being trodden down wherever the sole of your foot shall trod. And you're making a path. You're grinding out a path. And pretty soon you look behind you and your son, your daughter is walking behind you on the same path. And they're believing God for the same thing. And you say, God, I'm going to wear this path out. We're going to pack this sucker down. I'm going to walk. Because here's the problem. We're all about the prophetic, but we're not about the doing. You can hear prophecies till the cows literally are hamburger. But if you don't do them, you're not being led by God. Led by God. I stood in Westminster Abbey in London, England. The tomb, David Livingston. Now his body's there, but his heart isn't buried there. His heart is buried in Africa. When he died, he had asked that they take his heart out of his body and bury it in the soil of Africa. Since his death, in his well-worn path, thousands and millions of Africans have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. What was happening? He left a well-worn path, and he tread on that path. He walked it. There's a, there's a lady in Malawi right now, and uh, she's walking a path. Every day she feeds 40,000 kids but she only has enough to feed 12,000 kids. But every day the oatmeal stretches to 40,000. She's leaving a path of miracles. Heidi Baker's leaving a path of miracles. And they just keep walking that. David Wilkerson walked the streets of New York 
and he left a path. He was being led of the Lord. And hundreds and thousands have come to know Jesus. But what's even more interesting is to watch the outsprings and the offspring of, of his life now is buried deep in the culture of nations around the world that there's a belief that Jesus Christ is going to interrupt the crisis in our world and change things. And the path gets worn. The path, you know what? True Life Church, I tell you something, we gotta wear a path for ourselves. We gotta be led by the Lord till the path becomes so clear that we don't have to think about it. We're just walking that path till God begins to do things, one after another after another, because we're being led by the Lord. It's not something, well, God gave me a word, let's just wait to see it happens. No, 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 lead me, God, in the path. Lead me in your truth. Get, let me help me get this well. Because here's the thing. If it's well-worn in your heart and your brain, your brain and your heart will come into alignment with your spirit. And one day, that thing's going to happen. You're going to go, whoa! The path is amazing. See, that takes a little bit of, of gumption. It means you're going to have to move around a little bit. You ever, you ever seen a worn path? I had a dog. <laughs> Stupid thing. I had beautifully planted lawn. And it couldn't walk on all the lawn. Oh, no. It wore a path in my lawn. And what it did with that path is every once in a while, it'd bring things home and dig a hole in the path bury it till the rains came and then all the there was dishes and clothes that would come up but it had a path not suggesting you become a dog but are your prayers wearing a path is your life wearing a path as you're led by God is, is, is you, you know what, we used to make fun of the old saints so they'd get up and they'd testify on Sunday night and they'd testify the same thing over and over again. I was thinking about it the other day. Maybe they were smarter than us. Maybe they'd worn a path. <laughs> One old gal, she'd get up. I just thank God for saving me. I'm looking forward to going home to glory. And of course, as a teenager, you're going, we're looking forward to that too. And uh, she wore a path. I've, I have visited, I have walked with, I have been with people that wore a path in life. And I'm going to tell you something. Alignment built means I'm on a journey, I'm on a road, there's a manner about me, there's a work about me, and I want the path of my life worn by constant walking with Jesus. Now, alignment, mercy, we're almost, we got three minutes and 20 seconds, we can do this. Alignment, mercy. He says there in Psalms 25, y'all with me still? You alert? You wait, I won't ask if you're awake. I'm not going to be able to get you out of here, and you're probably not going to beat the Baptist to the Golden Corral, but, you know, that's okay. That is a heavenly place. Uh, alignment, mercy. <laughs> he says, verse 6, Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from old. 
Foundation for coming into alignment with, the, with your spirit is grace. If you don't have grace, you're going to be really hard on yourself. And you're going to be really hard on others. Interesting thing about the word mercy. When you get into it in the Hebrew, it, 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 it's two words combined. It's the word womb. How many of you know what a womb is? Y'all, y'all started in a womb. I mean, it's not a speech impediment for room. It's womb. Okay? Y'all started there. Y'all, y'all, and, he, and by the way, back to being born again, none of you had the ability to say what day you were going to be born. You didn't send a note, you know, up to mama's brain, dear mom, tomorrow, kick me out of here. No. There was a decision made. You were either naturally born or the doctor came and yanked you out. But however it was, it wasn't your decision. And I think sometimes we think rebirth is our decision. It's Jesus' decision. Okay. Mercy, womb, compassion. God has strong ties to those he has birthed. And his choice is unconditioned in the face of deserved judgment. And as his children repent, they receive mercy and forgiveness. You have to live, I'm telling you, to keep your soul in alignment, you have to live in the tender mercies of God. I mean... Every day there should be a recognition. Well, we, you know, you wake up in the morning, woohoo, another day. Didn't pass in my sleep. This is good. Lord, that means your mercies are anew this morning. Now, if you don't wake up, you won't need no more mercy. Right? Yeah. A dead man or woman needs no mercy, they're dead. But you are not dead. And you need mercy every morning. Loving kindness, he says, that is from old. That means, it doesn't mean it's old loving kindness. It means it's enduring. It has endured generation after generation the loving kindness of the Lord. I, I don't think we understand that in our culture right now. I was looking, there was a, an article I showed my wife and she goes, where do you come up with these things? I don't know. I'm just messed up but they've been trying to genetically alter animals and now they've come up with the, uh, and they showed the picture of this pig that's been genetically altered with the face of a man. And you kind of think, mm, ugly guy to begin with, but you know, no better on a pig. But here's the deal. If you don't believe God's loving kindness and mercies are upon this planet right now, you're mistaken because everything that this man can do to violate God's rule and law, he's done. He's doing it. And they're shaking their fist in the face of God. I mean, the transgender stuff, the LGBTQATFG stuff, and all this. I don't know how many letters there are anymore. I've ran out of letters. The alphabet. All this stuff. You think that God's in heaven applauding? But He, every day, is showing this planet abundant mercy and loving kindness because with one breath, from his mouth, it could all be over. Every day. Now, alignment consciousness. David is conscious of his sin and asks that God not remember them. 
you will know that you're in alignment with, with your spirit when you're conscious of your sin. If you're not conscious of it, don't call me. There's two sins he mentions here. The sin of youth. And I want to call that inadvertent sin. That means you're just dumb. And you do dumb stuff. And I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I'll drive to the city of Longview and I'm still looking over my shoulder wondering, are the police after me? <laughs> you know, it's, I'm, I'm sure all those guys have either passed away or retired, so maybe they've all forgotten. And I've got a different car. And Inadvertent, sins of your youth, just stupid things you do because... You're you. But then there's transgressions. He talks about transgressions. Those are willful acts of rebellion. Where you know better, you know you shouldn't, you've been warned by the Holy Spirit to it, and you go, I think I'll try it anyway. It's called a transgression. The best way to describe it is you ran the stop sign deliberately. David asks that God remember him from the vantage point of mercy. I want you to stop and think a moment. How do you want God to look at you? Probably said, well, I want God's grace. Well, you can't have it. Because God's grace is about changing you. It's about dealing with you so that ungodliness leaves you. Mercy is what deals with the consequences of your life. How many of you are glad God deals with your consequences? Woo, I got, okay, last one, angel come, these people are asleep. How many of you are missing that hour of sleep? Well, can you get it at home, please? Really? Four people in the back are laying down with blankets, I mean, come on. I love Sundays like that, because three or four people are going to get this. That's all it takes. Alignment confession. I love this part. Verse 8. I need to confess every day to bring my soul into alignment as I lift it up to the Lord that number one, good and upright is the Lord. Oh. Okay. Good and you really blew it, God, but no. No. Good and upright. God is upright. He's not laying down. He's not, he's not laying over. He's not asleep. It's good and up. I confess that even though I may be facing cruddy circumstances, God is good. He's upright. He's just. He's guiding me into justice. And I began to con- literally confess that. And then I, my alignment confession is I humble myself to, to be mine, he teaches me his ways. As I bring myself into humbleness, he teaches me his ways. And he, I confess every day his paths are mercy and truth. He's not out to knock me out. He's not out to beat me. He's not out to, to, to cause me shame. He's not out to push me out of the way. He's not there to embarrass me. His ways are mercy and truth no matter what the devil tells me. No matter what my soul tries to convince me about how unfair God is, I will tell God, you're just and right. You know what the key to David was? 
I mean, David was no choir boy. He committed adultery, murdered people over his adultery, etc., etc. God would say, don't count the people, and David would count the people, and diseases would come, and everybody would suffer because of David's stuff. But here's the deal. David knew that God was just and upright, and so he would come and say, God, I only want you dealing with me. You deal with me, God, however you want, but I only want you because I don't trust anybody but you. And I must allow His grace to help me keep covenant. And everything is always, the Bible says here, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Everything I do eventually is about making His name famous. That's what it's about. It's about His name being lifted up. Do people hear my life and see my life and go, wow. God be glorified. Do they go, wow, bummer. Alignment cry. Alignment building. Alignment mercy. Alignment consciousness. Alignment confession. When's the last time you just confessed, you took all your circumstances, your financial crud, your relational crud, all the stuff you just piled and say, you know what, I'm, soul, I'm going to lift you up to God. I'm going to put you up there. And I am going to say good and upright is God. I want us to stand. This song has become the favorite of my th- three-year-old grandson, but it should be yours too. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder, show me.